Hello, Cachimbonas. I'm really excited to bring you episode 22 of season 5 of Radio Cachimbona. Radio Cachimbona is an abolitionist podcast that audio archives state repression and fierce migrant resistance in the southern Arizona borderlands and breaks down case law and politics from a leftist perspective. As a first-generation professional whose parents are Salvadoran immigrants, Yvette prioritizes uplifting and centering the voices and histories of Central Americans. On this episode, I was really honored to have the editors of the anthology Somewhere We Are Human. That's Reina Grande and Sonia Guignan-Saca, as well as two of the contributors, Yosima Reyes and Alini Melo. Reina is the author of the best-selling memoirs, The Distance Between Us, and its sequel, A Dream Called Home, as well as the novels Across a Hundred Mountains, Dancing with Butterflies, and A Ballad of Love and Glory. Grande has received an American Book Award, the El Premio Aslan Literary Prize, and a Latino Spirit Award. Her work has appeared in the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Lily, the Dallas Morning News, CNN, and more. In March of 2020, she was a guest on Oprah's Book Club. Sonia Guignansaca is Quechua Kenyari, born in Ecuador. They are an internationally acclaimed poet, activist, and cultural strategist. Guignan Saka helped build some of the largest national undocumented organizations in the U.S. and co-founded some of the first artistic projects, writing retreats, and workshops for and by undocumented writers. Their artistry and advocacy has been featured on PBS and in Interview Magazine, Miss Magazine, Vogue, and Pan America, to name a few. Guignan Saka self-published the chapbook Nostalgia and Borders and is the founder of House of Alegria, a multifold residency project and publishing press for emerging queer, trans, and non-binary migrant artists. Alini Melo is a writer and editor living in Atlanta. Her debut book of poetry, More Salt Than Diamond, was published in spring of 2022. A Brazilian immigrant, she is an undocu-poet fellow, and her poetry has been published in the Georgia Review, the Indiana Review, and the New Republic, among other publications. She devotes much of her time to serving immigrant communities and preparing undocumented students for higher education. Yosima Reyes was born in Guerrero, Mexico, and raised in Eastside San Jose. Reyes explores the themes of migration and sexuality in his work. The advocate named Reyes one of the 13 LGBT Latinos changing the world, and Amesca included Reyes on the list of 10 up-and-coming Latinx poets you need to know. His first collection of poetry, For Colored Boys Who Speak Softly, was self-published after a collaboration with the legendary Carlos Santana. His work has also been published in various online journals and books, including Mariposas, an anthology of queer modern Latino poetry, and Queer in Aslan, Chicano male recollections of consciousness and coming out. He is a Lambda Literary Fellow and the recipient of an Undocu Poets Fellowship. I was super honored to have Reina and Sonia and Alini and Rosimad on the podcast. It was the anthology is amazing. I recommend that everybody buy it, support them, and share their work. If you want to support the podcast, there are many, many ways you can do so. The favorite way. <laughs> My favorite way is to become a patron at patreon.com slash radio cachimbona. Whenever you can get between $5 and $10 a month, 
you will get early access to episodes like these and also exclusive access to the lit reviews, which are book club style chats with women of color. Right now I'm reading Faces at the Bottom of the Well by Derek Bell. And I'm very excited about that considering how much critical race theory has been denigrated and spun in conservative right-wing media. I think that there's something for everyone in the lit review and It also just really helps supporting this independent podcast. And if you can give a lesser amount, like $3 a month, then you can become a Cachimona Apoyadora and get a monthly shout out on the podcast. Thank you to our Sally Rivera Cohen and Sai, who are to the two Cachibona Apoyadoras. Really appreciate whatever folks can give. Everything helps sustain the podcast. And a completely free way to help the podcast is to leave a rating and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. The vast majority of y'all listen on Apple Podcasts, so that's a great place to to rate a a platform to rate and review on because those determine uh, top podcast lists and generally helps the podcast gain visibility. There weren't any new ratings or reviews this week. So it would be amazing if folks could, after listening to this episode and, you know, getting excited about what you appreciated about it, you can just really quickly write a rating and review and support this podcast right now. And I would really appreciate it. Uh, you can also follow at Radio Cachimona on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I share the podcast episodes there. And then also, you can follow at Yvette Borja AZ on Twitter if you want to read my legal journalism, my legal commentary for Balls and Strikes. And I think, yep, yeah, that's it. So I hope that you all enjoy this interview because I definitely enjoyed it. Chimbonas today. I am so excited to have Sonia Guanyanasca and Reina Grande here, who are the editors of Summer We Are Human, as well as Alini Mayo and Yosima Reyes, who are two of the contributors in the anthology. Sonia um, and Reina also wrote and contributed to the anthology. And so I just wanted to quickly read off y'all's bios. Sonia is a multidisciplinary artist, cultural strategist, and activist. Reina Grande is the author of the best-selling memoir, The Distance Between Us, and its sequel, A Dream Called Home. You all both edited Somewhere We Are Human, an anthology of essays written by undocumented people telling their personal stories. And you all divided the essays into three thematic parts, migration, survival, and new beginnings. And just to start off, I wanted to ask you all, did you come up with those themes before or after receiving um, call for essays that you all put out? 
Anyone can answer. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll jump in. This is Reina. Well, as we were putting together the idea for the anthology, we were thinking about these three parts, right, of the immigrant experience, which is the migration itself, but then after is that that period of survival. And then also the idea that, you know, there are also new beginnings when you migrate. And so it kind of came organically, you know, putting the, dividing the anthology into these three sections. Yeah. Thank you so much, Yvette, for having us. I'm Sonia Guignan-Saka. And one of the things with the book is that all the pieces can fit in either of the sections that we had. It was actually really hard process of figuring out where it fit. At times, myself and Dana were like, maybe this goes in the third section, or maybe this makes more sense in the middle. But I think that ultimately, at the end, we realized that We wanted these pieces to speak to each other, to be in conversation with each other. And so the way that it is is currently laid out with the essays and the poems in between, as well as the visual pieces, is to give space for like a breathing room, a moment of reflection, a moment for the pieces to, again, to speak to each other. And But definitely, like I, I feel like many of those pieces also feel they can land in the other sections. But yeah, it was a really hard process. And ultimately, uh, we were super excited in, in, in the final layout. Yeah, and I actually really appreciated that there was like a multidisciplinary uh, approach in the to the anthology. I have called it um, a book of essays, but that's not really covering the full scope of it because there's poems, there's short stories, there's kind of genre bending stuff, and then also like these these images that you were mentioning too, which were like you're saying were kind of also just nice breathers for the reader. So I really appreciated that. And something I thought was really cool too thematically was that, so you all chose the dandelion as kind of a representation of people who migrate. And you you all talked about how like the butterfly is something that's more commonly associated with the immigrant story, but you all expressly rejected that. And you felt that dandelions were actually like a much more appropriate symbol for this anthology. And I wanted to ask, why is that? And this is a question for everybody. Like, do you identify with the dandelion? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I'm a big fan of butterflies. I even have a butterfly tattoo on my arm. But as we were thinking about the symbol for the book, we gravitated towards the dandelion because we were thinking, you know, everybody loves butterflies. And, and so they have this really, um, uh, well, like everybody welcomes butterflies into their space, into their garden, you know, uh, it's a beautiful symbol. But then when you think about the dandelion, it, it has been much maligned, you know, it's an mm-hmm. unwanted, it's considered a weed right. uh, because it's unwanted. And as a gardener, like I'm constantly pulling out dandelions. And I was thinking about how in, in the same way, like immigrants there, it's very rare when immigrants are welcomed into a community, right? Yeah. And, um, but immigrants are very resilient. And they're much like the dandelion, you know, the dandelion can grow anywhere. And it doesn't matter how often it gets uh, mistreated and rejected and pulled out. It's there. It persists. 
it's survival, like its desire to survive is so strong that that it's always there and it's such a resilient plant and yet and it's a beneficial plant too because it does have like um, medicinal properties that we don't recognize we don't acknowledge so for all of those reasons uh we thought that the dandelion was a much better image i love that yeah yeah definitely i think it, uh, the book itself somewhere we are human it's us being intentional and wanting to highlight just approaching new narratives that we wanted to highlight in regards to i feel that oftentimes like the narratives that are being pushed out are very like polished or very positioned in a way that is it is like a success story or just or or just specifically about like uh, lifting up the ways we contribute to the economy and or just like talking points and so i think the dandelion just gives us a space to imagine like the complexities of like what our narratives can carry, what our stories have been, that oftentimes they're looked as as negative or not a quote unquote the best good immigrant story, you know, that that oftentimes is uplifted in mainstream. And so this was an opportunity through the dandelion as like consider this weed as like not good, but in actuality, it has so many, so many ways that it like it, it uplifts our ecosystems and provides nourishment. And it is also beautiful. It is such a complex symbolism. The stitching of the dandelion was actually done by Elias Roldan, who's also one of the writers in the essay. And so we also wanted to be intentional that the cover art was done by a fellow undocumented person. And he hand stitched this during the pandemic and had it like mailed to our um to our um to our to our publishers and that's like that's what's on the cover now that's amazing alini or yosimar do either of you want to answer yeah i mean for me okay uh, this is yosimar reyes i think for me what's interesting in the discourse around being undocumented is that the narratives have been kind of I don't know. I think for the last two decades, we've been doing this thing of trying to convince people that we're really good people and that we contribute and that we're good immigrants. I don't know. For me, I think for me, I'm kind of tired of the butterfly. No shade. But, <laughs> but that, I don't know. It's become a symbol of pacifying immigrants. And I think yeah. at this point for me, yeah. we're like, you know, there's this thing of like, oh, we're not stealing jobs. But uh, now in 2022, I might steal your job. Like, you <laughs> You should feel threatened. Like, I think, and I think for me, I think now we're in this day and age that we realize that the, the narratives that we're saying about undocumented people have not worked because we're still, right. my biggest win is DACA. And for me, right. this book, I think for me, this book symbolizes a love letter to mm -hmm. the people that nobody cared about. We were so busy trying to convince citizens to vote pro-migrant that we didn't really care about the spirits and the well-being of actual undocumented people right and so for me what's important to be part of this book was because this is for us and we're taking a step to be selfish and you know just it's a conversation between us and it, it just feels good to be around undocumented people and you gotta explain nothing and just feel mm -hmm. like people get it so right yeah that's where i'm at <laughs> i love that thank you yeah, um, this is Alini. I agree with Yossi. Like, I, I guess I'm at the point, you know, I, I had my phase of um, trying to talk to citizens, trying to talk to politicians and trying to convince people um, 
of how good we were or how worthy thinking that you know that would work or that would be enough or maybe people just didn't know you know like so it's just like oh let me just inform you but yeah it's just it's come to this point where I'm really tired of explaining things to citizens and I'm really tired of appealing to them like I think that, you know, there's the white gaze, there's the male gaze, and I think there's the American citizen gaze that we try to, like, you know, perform for. And I think that the butterfly, the dreamer narrative, um, all of those things are kind of in the same basket in my mind. Um, And definitely just, like, both looking for new metaphors, but also even looking beyond metaphors, like, you know, for the cover of a book, I think that Dandelion looks amazing and I love like fiber arts, but also like, I don't know, like, I I think a lot of times we try to make ourselves seem so um, palatable and like, like, like just unlike not harmful or or not threatening. And um, I'm ready to be compared to, I don't know, fire, lions, I don't like, or, or nothing at all, right? Or just human. Yeah. Um, why, mm-hmm. why do we need mm-hmm. to, to compare, compare ourselves to anything? So, yeah, I definitely, yeah. I think that whole, like, questioning the butterfly and other symbols is super important. Yeah, and I think this is kind of related to another thing I wanted to ask about, which is that, like, yes, you all did share stories of people with DACA, and and but those essays also like complicated that narrative, and disrupted that as well. But you also chose to showcase the stories of people who have been deported, and then have had to rebuild their lives after that, and that's certainly not a perspective that we really hear about. And so, I wanted to ask, like, what what went into that decision to to include those stories as well? Yeah, I, for us, it was important that when we're talking about immigration, migration, that we are also lifting up the stories that oftentimes are not told or not uh, centering our conversation. So often it's like about the folks who are still in the United States, right? And we forget about people who might have been deported or may have chosen to leave because Um, By leaving those stories out, what we end up doing is also taking away people's agencies and like just like the, the, the reasoning uh, or the ways that people decide to live their lives. And and that what we're trying to do in the book is show like um, there's just not one way of being a migrant. Some people decide to stay here. Some people are deported, which is a reality. And there's also people who decide to leave. And so we were very uh, intentional in also including those stories. There were a couple of also stories that didn't make it into the book because of legal reasons. Ultimately, we also were thinking about their well-being and with their own, um, with their lawyer's input too, like the stories that we're putting here as real stories and people are still in it and are still living it. Um, and so we will also be mindful about our responsibility in, in telling honest narratives and honest stories that it was just not like I'm here in the United States still, uh, when in reality, we know that many of our community members have been deported or have left. Yeah, and I just really appreciate you all kind of prioritizing that agency, especially when people who are deported have their agency robbed by the state, you know, in that action. And I also appreciated that that was in the part of the new beginnings part of the anthology. I just think that that's, you all captured all all of the nuance and I loved it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that that Tony and I were trying to do 
was to understand that there's no one immigrant story. You know, we, we have immigrant stories, there's a universality to them, and we have a lot of things in common, but every, every story is singular in its own way. So we wanted to make sure that we were capturing as many experiences as we could fit into the book. And so, you know, we, we tried very hard to include um, the voices of immigrants who lived here, the voices of immigrants who were deported or who decided to leave. And also we were very intentional in making sure that there was a, a diversity in the voices that we included. And that's how we ended up with representing immigrants from over 20 countries. So that was also something that, that Tonya and I deeply cared about, you know, making sure that, that the voices were diverse. And we would have loved to have included even more voices. Hopefully there's a sequel to this book where we could do that. Something that makes me curious about this process is how did you narrow down the submissions that you got or, you know, how did, or how did you narrow down the list of, of ideal people that you wanted to reach out to for this project? I, I, that must've been very, very hard. This project came about during the pandemic. So we had our open submissions during the first year of, of COVID-19 and uh, we had over, I want to say like over 150 uh, submissions. We had a couple of people who submitted who were not migrant, who are American citizens. Oh, and no. we're like, no, this is... <laughs> Yeah, for us, by us. And so we were like, so oh. awkward. Um, and but we had, yeah, but the majority of the, the submissions were, um, it speaks to the demand and the need for many, it, it speaks to uh, the urgency for, for more publishers to support uh, voices of like migrants and undocumented creatives. And so um, it was really hard. I want to say there were, there were so many Google docs and Google sheets and spreadsheets and like um, jumping on calls uh, amongst each other to narrow down on pieces that spoke to nuance that offered, I, I wouldn't say like new light, but offer just complexity and tensions that maybe oftentimes haven't been discussed even within like the immigrant themes of like of conversations. So we talked about climate change, disability justice. Uh, there were folks who were talking about their connection to body or their relationship with their families, because oftentimes, again, um, as mentioned earlier, there's, there's a way that in the past our migrant stories and the ways that we've been asked to present our migrant stories have been very position very like polished or very like um, in advocacy to, towards something but these the pieces that we selected were added nuance were raw and we were also intentional in having emerging writers not just like the established folks we wanted to work with pieces and and Raina can speak on this because I think that Raina really championed for example Elias who is not is not a writer but had a wonderful story to tell yeah um I think it, for me, it was really important that we didn't just have writers in, in the anthology, you know, because the undocumented immigrant experience covers many different careers and experiences and people working, you know, in different sectors of society. And so 
it was important that in addition to inviting uh, undocumented writers to contribute, that we also reached out to other undocumented folks that were not writers themselves, but who had, you know, stories that 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 need to be to be heard, need to be told, need to be read. And Elias Roldan was one of those people who, you know, he's an incredible clothes designer and costume maker. He's not a writer and he needed a lot of help with his piece, but he had a, an incredible story. But um, I want to hear from Yosimar and from Alini because Yosimar was one of the writers that we reached out to. So he received, he, we invited Yosimar to contribute, whereas Alini, we found her through the, the open call for submissions. And, you know, they, they both contributed essays to the anthology, were, which were really magnificent. And both of them are writers. So um, I would love to hear from both, both of you about your experience Sure, yeah. So I was doing actually Vona for the first time. What is Vona? So Vona, Voices of, do not know what it stands for. I'm so <laughs> but, Vona is uh, Voices of Our Nation's Arts. Oh, okay. There it is. There it okay. is. Um, so it's this like sort of writing workshop, like training with like really amazing writers of color. So it's like all people of color. Oh, cool. I was paired up with Willie Perdomo because I, I mainly write poetry. And like in one of the announcements during Vona, so this was Vona, you know, pandemic time. So um, it wasn't in person. It was all on Zoom and we were still trying to figure out Zoom. And in one of the announcements, somebody was like, hey, by the way, here's this like, you know, passed out like a little flyer, like a digital flyer. Um, and I looked at it and I put it in my phone as like the due date. And I was like, okay, I think I have an essay for this. Cause I, I was like, you know, going between poems and an essay and I was like, I'll do an essay for this. So then, yeah, I wrote the essay and I sent it in by the due date. So that's how that worked out for me. That's cool. Yeah. I, I really liked your essay. It's titled fit and you talked about body images and undocumented person, something that really stayed with me was that you said it was like your body rebelled before you mentally rebelled. And I wanted to ask when you first realized that. Um, I think for sure through therapy, like I think just like figuring right. out how at <laughs> war I've been with my body for so long. Um, mm -hmm. And when I started, like, I remember my therapist started telling me to call my body with the pronoun she like instead of it and when I started doing that I was like oh we are not friends <laughs> like like if I started thinking of my body as like a separate person and how I was relating to her so I I guess I started just thinking through like what my body's values were if I were just to see how it was acting like I was like okay so my body is bigger I don't want it to be bigger. Why does it want to be bigger? And I started like just trying to see what were the conflict points um, between me and my body and kind of like where we could maybe come together and change each other's minds. So for sure through therapy, but to be honest, like I'm still, you know, in, in eating disorder recovery, like I only have really like, you know, moments where I'm like, F that, you know, like I'm gonna 
I'm going to like take up as much space as I want. Like my favorite animal is a whale, you know, like just super extra. But there are other times that I'm like, no, no, no. I just want to get inside, like under my bed. I just want to be under my bed, taking up as little space as possible. I want to hide. So it's something I'm still working on, but definitely through therapy. And I only started therapy after the former president started his campaign. Like that's when I started like real therapy. So I think that was all like super connected, like the fear that that brought on the need for therapy for sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's, I always talk about going to therapy too. And I try and talk about it because I feel like it is very stigmatized in the Latinx community and we just need to talk about it more. Yeah, for sure. I'm a huge therapy like proponent. I think everyone, everyone needs it. Definitely. Yeah. Immigrants. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm also curious about your experience with the essay writing. Um, well, I, I also wanted to share kind of my, one of my favorite parts of your essay. Um, you, I'll preface by saying that you're one of the funniest person people I've ever encountered. Like you make me crack up probably every single time you do your Instagram stories. And, but, and the same was true of your essay. Um, you, you wrote Stephanie is the type of citizen. I pray to God gets her citizenship revoked when she tells me, my parents want to go to Mexico for winter break. You're so lucky. Your parents can't go anywhere. I pray, please Diosito, make someone steal her social. <laughs> There's a lot of kind of sensationalizing of the undocumented experience and kind of a lot of focusing on, um, the hyper focus on like poverty and tragedy and suffering. Um, and I wanted to ask like, how does that inform how you use humor to tell your story? Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, when I, I was a little bitter immigrant when I was 16, I was like, just, I was just upset because I felt like it wasn't fair. Like here I am excelling, like winning my, my peers and there's still things I can't do. Like I want to work. I can't get a job. Like the were jobs that I can get are not, I don't want to work at the assembly line with my tias. But for me, it was more like, I grew up around a lot of immigrants. I grew up around a lot of undocumented people. So, you know, some people say like, oh, I didn't have, I didn't know anybody that was undocumented. I, that was not my story. Everybody around me lived like this. Like I was surrounded, immersed in this. And so for me, I think the comedy comes with like, just messy immigrants and that's what I wanted to write in my essay just all all these messy immigrants living with each other and just trying to survive and helping each other make it and so the essay is just that like the things that we do in this neighborhood um and for me what, what was important for me to showcase that was because people thought that undocumented people started existing when we started talking about the dream act and I was like we existed in the 90s. We were, who was, if we didn't exist in the 90s in California, what was Pete Wilson fighting against? It was us. And so for me, I wanted to showcase that, like growing up in poverty, but at the same time, humor. Like, I think for me, I think that's what makes me, that what makes the things that we go through a little bit more digestible for me. Cause if I took it too serious, then it would impact me. And so, I think for me, that's always been the thing. And, you know, we started the Undocu Joy thing. 
Um, I wrote a poem called on Dr. Joy when I used to work for Define American. And I think I'm happy that it took off and that people started questioning these narratives that we started telling about how deficit and how in need we were. Because the reality is that we're not that. Like everything we, honestly, we're geniuses if you think about it, because a certain level of genius to survive as undocumented person for five, 10, 20, 30 years for me. It takes a certain level of, I don't know. Yeah, you have to be smart. And so I just wanted to showcase that. And the essay, honestly, it was really grueling because honestly, it's kind of intimidating when you're having Reina Grande edit your stuff. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, girl, Reina, here you go, girl. I don't know if you but help me out. But other than that, I think, yeah, it was, it, it was good. And for me, I think one of the things for me that's hard is because I think a lot of us as writers are kind of self-taught in a way. And it showcases the fact that in our communities, oftentimes there's so much talent, but because we're so busy surviving and working and feeding our family, I'm the caretaker to my abuela, you know, like I don't have the capacity to like, you know, if I take a summer off, you know, I mean, I don't have the capacity I'm writing while taking care of people. And so I think for me, what was important is the patience that the editors had with a lot of us, right? Because it really allowed us to think that, hey, I can actually produce something that's going to be you know that it's going to be published in a mainstream publication and it's going to be good and so yeah that was my process <laughs> yeah i know i i did appreciate you showing kind of the different hustles that are required as an undocumented person like you talked about how you like turning 16 or whatever the driving age is it's like oh for some people that means you go to the dmv and you get a license but for me it meant that that was getting my fake social and like getting a job to support my family um and so i just i appreciated you showcasing that because as you said like people have been existing surviving creating new beginnings for themselves for i mean really since the border was created so um yeah, I just I loved I loved your essay. Thank you. Fangirling. <laughs> well, I have to say I really enjoy working with you, Yosimar. Um, and I was actually pleasantly surprised because when we invited you to contribute, we thought you were going to contribute poetry. And then when you said, No, I'm turning in an essay, I got really excited because then that meant I got to work with you. So that was really fun. I think it was actually as much fun as we had in San Antonio that one time dancing till three in the morning. <laughs> wow. You should have you should have known how hardcore I, I am just based I on that. <laughs> I've never heard anyone describe the editing process as a night out dancing. So I'm actually so curious to be edited by you one day. <laughs> Yeah, and and uh, Alini, same thing with your your piece. I mean, it it was incredible. What an honor to be able to work with you on your piece as well. And it's interesting because both of you are are uh, poets, but you turn in uh, um, essays. Yeah, I feel like you can't. I felt like for both of you, you did kind of see your poetry skills as well, because I feel like. Um, both had a lot of voice and um, Alini, I really liked there's kind of like a lyricism to your essay as well. So yeah, I appreciated that. 
Um, Reina, in, in your essay, Not So Sweet Valley, you talked about the discomfort of witnessing the privilege with which your children have grown up because of how starkly different it is from how you grew up. And I wanted to ask, when was the first time that you felt something about that disjunct? I mean, I think I felt it the, my, my children's entire lives since the very beginning, well, yeah. you know, just even like when I went to the hospital to deliver my son at Kaiser, right. I thought, wow, like he's, he's, he's going to be born in a private hospital. And I was born on a dirt floor in a shack, you know, like right. it was, um, I, I think I, I have always been comparing and contrasting my children's lives to, to my life. Uh, I, I had also, I had also um, constantly been thinking about as they were growing up, like, for example, when my daughter was four and I thought this is how old I was when my mother left me, you know, or then when my daughter was nine and I thought this is how old I was when I crossed the border. And I don't think my daughter has it in her to cross at the border, <laughs> like she can't even she can't even walk a few blocks without complaining. <laughs> uh, she doesn't have any turn. I appreciated that honesty of that perspective because I feel like there is a certain kind of narrative about. Um, you know, immigrant parents coming to the U.S. and sacrificing, and um, I, there's. I think this is a theme as we've been talking throughout but it's um it's a perspective that's under discussed um so i just appreciated that honesty and sonia in after you wrote like gold a good immigrant doesn't tarnish like gold we are extracted and polished and i wanted to ask what are the situations in which you felt extracted and polished yeah for the that poem specifically i wanted to lift up the different I want to say like tensions and like real internal dilemmas uh, that many of us may have or are engaging with or balancing with like what happens when you are out here you know building careers out of like dreamer narratives and what are like the tensions when you know you're getting to speak about your like your trauma and every everybody applauds you for your trauma and like what are these like what happens when you check off all those things that you dream about in terms of like uh, accreditations or success stories whatever quote-unquote success means to you and and having to be grounded in like your connection to the larger community and the attention that like income inequality is real. So you might be getting booked for, for example, speaking at Columbia University and my mom, she cleans and caters like these like Columbia University departments. So, so and to be in the space, like many of like um, uh, departments are like cheering you and like talking about your marvelous story. And then at the same time, these are the same departments who are like mistreating um their cleaners and not understanding that they're brilliant migrant folks who are doing like this manual labor and so i think that's what i was trying to do uh with the poem after the layers of us engaging with 
within our immigrant communities and like the privileges and the positions that we're put into, many of us are advanced or not. And questioning our like our own internalized bootstrappy mentality. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciated your poems. Those were all the questions that I had. Um, was there anything else that anyone wanted to add before we end the conversation? Sure. I would love to add that uh, the book is now available since uh, June 7th, so people can purchase it in person at Barnes and Nobles or your local bookstore. So if your local bookstore doesn't carry it, ask them to bring them on stock. Uh, you can also get them at Bookshop, at Target, and uh, it also comes in an audio. Uh, you can download it as an audio book. And yeah, and we were very intentional in making sure that part of the audiobook also represents like a range of, um, of folks. So we had a fellow non-binary queer trans folks also narrating the pieces uh, because one of the biggest aspects of Somewhere We Are Human, it is that it is also a, um, a, a book, an anthology made out of uh, wonderful queer trans undocumented and formerly undocumented writers, cultural workers, advocates, um, which um, I think they did a phenomenal job in bringing up uh, many intersectional issues. Yeah, and if anybody wants more information, you can visit our website, somewherewearehuman.com. But I would also love to give an opportunity to Yosimar and Alini to share, you know, what, what are their um, other projects that folks can look up to and where they can find you, either your social media or websites. Yeah, for me right now, I'm uh, my place premiering at the Bravo Theater on September 29th. Um, I have a one-man show called Prieto, so we're finally going to premiere it. Yeah, I'm super, super excited. Yeah, that's so, so that's cool. coming up. And yeah, and you can find me on my Instagram, Yosirey, Y-O-S-I-R-E-Y. Um, but yeah, if you're ever in San Francisco, pull up on September 29th. That's amazing, Yossi. Congratulations. I have my first book came out in March of this year. It's called More Salt Than Diamond, and it's a book of poetry. Um, I also am working on a young adult novel about a Brazilian undocumented teenager. Um, and my social media is both on Twitter and Instagram, the Alini Mello. So T-H-E-A-L-I-N-E-M-E-L-L-O. Okay, well, thank you. Reina and Sonia, do you also want to share where people can find you and your work? Yeah, my website is reinagrande.com. And you could find me there. And on Instagram, I'm at writer Reina Grande. Uh, and the same for me, soniaquillansaca.com and at the Sonia G on all your social media platforms. And also visit houseofalegria.com, which is a, a project that just launched um, supporting uh, emergent queer, trans, undocumented uh, migrant creators. So yeah, thank you so much, Yvette. And uh, super excited we were able to do this yes thank you so much i'm inspired by all of you and thank you for having yeah, us i hope that you all have a great rest of your friday thank you thank you everybody bye, bye.